Okay, so we are going to continue uh, our sermon sessions in the Gospel of John, and we will find ourselves in chapter uh, 17. In chapter 17, uh, the portion of Scripture, verse 1 through verse 11a, if you will. This year chapter, the focus of the Christ is now between he and his Father in heaven. It is no longer in focused direction and context to his 11 apostles, though he is certainly going to speak on behalf of his apostles. He will be speaking to his Father in relation to his uh, 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 function as the Son, looking toward the Father and both being equal, certainly as his hour has now come to be in which he will give his life for the redemption of mankind. And we have seen his journey thus far and a great many wonderful interactions with the compassion he had for humanity. And also we have certainly recognized the growing hostility from the religious leaders of the day and their loyalists against the Christ. For Christ was in the image of the scripture, the great, uh, 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 well, in the image of the scripture, and the religious leaders of the day, they had since created the Christ in their own image. And when Christ came on earth, not in the image in which they had created, they became hostile towards him. And we see that today, yet still, in the ocean of religion, when one uh, seeks to create his or her own image of the Christ, and it is in contradiction to the image of the Christ within the Scripture. And uh, that, of course, grew some hostility towards him, in which he persevered, he conquered through, he was victorious uh, over them, and uh, the evil of the fallen world. But yet still, some, a few, loved him, and sought to understand him and follow him, and uh, many were the recipients of his miraculous powers and the authority of his teaching. So we were able to see all those wonderful things thus far in the chapters of the gospel. And now we find ourselves in chapter 17, verse 1, and we will move forward. And let's, by all means, pay attention. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, so in Verse 1, these things in, is in relation to uh, the portion of the book, the gospel, 14, 15, and 16, that were directed to the apostles, okay? So, Jesus spoke these things, those things he spoke to the 11 apostles in chapter 14, 15, and 16, those things. And lifting up his eyes, that is, of course, in relation to his prayer going towards the Father in heaven. We remember the account of the uh, sinner who could not even lift his eyes, who would beat his chest as a sinner. And the Pharisee, puffed up with pride, was one who uh, sought his own, uh, uh, his own agenda and ambition. Well, there's a humble posture to uh, the heart and the motive of the heart in prayer, of course, and the sun lifting up his eyes certainly is in the motive of a righteous heart and is done so with the honor 
he has for his father. It is not in the manner in which the Pharisaical or the Sanhedrin or those of religious uh, prestige of the day would have done so with arrogance, would have done so with pride uh, and and, um, uh, manners in which would, would be unrighteous and lawless. So here is the Christ. He is lifting up his eyes to heaven, his father, of course. And he says, Father, the hour has come. It's time for Jesus to die and to die a very violent death that came, of course, with a great many sorrows of this fallen world. And he speaks to his father. He has communication with his father. He is comforted by his father for his father would not leave aside. Everyone else would abandon, but his father would not. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. And here, in context and information of glorification, it means the substance of character in which God the Father is. The substance of character. So that the Father would be glorified. The substance of his character would be made available, would be revealed, and uh, in also relation to the Son in partaking in that glorification. Father, the hour has come. It is time for me to die. Glorify your Son. May the, the, the substance of his character be revealed that the Son may glorify you. So both in, in complement to one another and equality, as the Son would be glorified, the strength and substance of His character on that cross, dying for the well-being, salvation of mankind, through that, the Father would be glorified. The Father's character would also be seen. Because, of course, the text explains throughout the Gospels, that seeing the Son is seeing the Father. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. And it is very interesting how the focus of our Lord and Master is always on the mission. It would have been very tempting for Him to uh, depart and withdraw from accomplishing this task, which is at the hour. Is it, it is at the hour. It continues and reveals in verse 2. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh. Speaking to the Father in relation to his being, the Son. Him is he, Christ. Even as you, the Father, gave him, the Son, authority. Authority is his name. In his name is the authority. And what authority does he have? He has authority over all mankind. Now mankind rejected him. The world rejected him. But that did not void him of his authority over mankind. That to all whom you, the Father, have given him, the Son, he, the Son, may give eternal life. Again, the substance of character, the name, the authority. He is deity. They are equal. He is divine. He is God on earth. And 
through this process and this orderly establishment, eternal life is given through the Christ. And of course, we can quote a great many verses in the Gospel of John in relation to that very eternal life. John 3, 3, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, correct? John 3, 5, the conditions of that new birth out of water and the Spirit, and such cannot be functional without John 3.16, which is belief. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever shall believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It is through the Christ. And of course, verse 36 of John chapter 3, which speaks of obedience in connection to belief. The substance of character of the Christ is, of course, of the Father in which he is obedient to, through which we can find salvation, eternal life. This is eternal life, verse 3. That they may know you. What is eternal life? That they may know God. The only true God. The world has certainly created many gods, but they are gods created by the mind of men in relation to their fleshly desires. But there is one who is unique and set apart, not created by the mind of man, but ma rather man was created by the mind of the living God. And when the word know, K-N-O-W, is revealed in this context, it is not merely to have an acquaintance with God. It is not merely saying, oh yeah, I think I know him, I've seen him somewheres. This here is of a deep reception and understanding of who God is. It is to know him personally. The only true God. And Jesus Christ, Jesus the man, Christ the Messiah, the anointed one, whom you, the Father, have sent. And this, of course, is a wonderful prayer to the Father and activates a model of example in our prayers to certainly give God His glory. He is the great I Am. He is the living God. And we are wise to be obedient to Him and to do so with the right motive of the heart. Now, only the Son is equal to the Father. We cannot match that measurement. We can only make it to the Father through the Son, you see. And so he says, this is eternal life. And that is wonderful, for we might ask the question, what is eternal life? A life that never ends. To what description would the Christ speak to his Father of this eternal life? Well, if we find ourselves challenged in confusion or uncertainties and doubts, we go to the text and he explains to us the very specificity of his design, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. What is eternal life? To truly know, receive, understand, and obey the Father through the Son, and the Son, the Father, are one. 
I, verse 4, Christ here speaking, glorified you, the Father, on the earth. You see, for if you followed the Christ, you were following the Father. If you knew the Son, you would know the Father. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Not only is Christianity an educated religion, it is, an, it is a religion of activity and work, productivity. All of us to our design in His image, all of us to the opportunities He has blessed us with. I glorified you. I, the Son, revealed the substance of character the Father has. Where? On this earth. Having accomplished the fulfillment in which His appearing was designed, prophetically so, confirming the plan from the very beginning, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work, and we know in Christ we have work to do, for we should not be hearers only, deceiving ourselves, we should act upon the word. Our trust will have that uh, 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 principle practiced in application. James chapter 2, of course, has a wealth of inspired information in regards to our faith, and its necessity for work. Christ, our example, our master, to which we are commanded to follow, should also see the value of the work. So he says, the work which you have given me to do. Work, doing. Understand those words. They are very important. You need to do something in order to achieve something. Now, verse 5. Father, Glorify me, the Christ speaking, that his substance of character can be, of course, revealed with yourself. Glorify me together with yourself. Again, the two are one. With the glory, the substance of character which I had with you before the world was. Before the world was. Very interesting language. Again, in of itself refutes the idea that Jesus, the Christ, was a created being. The Christ, the Son, has always been is now and will forevermore be. If we can remember chapter 8, verse 58, before Abraham was, I am. He says in verse 6, I have manifested your name, which is again to the rightly handled description of verse 2, authority, 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 uh, I have manifested your authority, your name, your being to the men whom you gave me out of the world. 
speaking of the 11 apostles in which the context of chapter 14, 15, and 16, and also 17, reveal. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they, the 11 apostles, have kept, what now? Your word. Chapter 14 of the same gospel, verse 15, would say, If you love me, keep my commandments. And in verse 21, if I quote again from chapter 14, it would say, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. They have kept your word. Interesting, isn't it? Isn't it not? Because the scriptures of the old pen prophesied of the coming Messiah and all who took a hold of that and believed in that of a humble heart recognized the fulfillment of the scriptures in the Christ. They kept the word. Now, verse 7. They have come to know. There's that word again, know. And it is, of course, in relation to chapter 17, verse 3, to know. It is simply not a mere acquaintance. It is of a deep, personal, and intimate knowledge, reception. These here kept the word, and they uh, uh, of faith followed the word. So they have come to know. And it's interesting how the process is they came to know. You just don't wake up one morning knowing. There is a process to knowing. And though the apostles' faith was not at the measurement it would be upon the reception of the Holy Spirit, they still had an, uh, enough to know that the Christ was the Christ. Dying on the cross establishing the uniqueness of the kingdom and what that would look like spiritually may not have been there fully. But they knew this man here was from God and he was the fulfillment of the scriptures. And that sufficed for that time. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. So they understood the connection that the Son and the Father are one. Verse 8, for the words, the words which you gave me, the Father gave the Son, words, I, it, it should be highlighted all over the Bible when you see those things. You should highlight the words, the word. Why? Because we have it fulfilled before us. When someone is seeking to know the Christ, seeking to know uh, the will of God in his mind, we go to the word. It is not a matter of a reception of a dream. It is not a matter of a religious experience that can be sensationalized. It is not through the twists and uh, 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 charms of uh, a pagan or heathen worldview. It is by the logic and reasoning of a rightly handled word, the perfect law of liberty, in which you and I today 
are certainly blessed to open as it is God breathe and it is piercing, is it not? It challenges us to change, which is why most hate this book. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you, for the words which you gave me I have given to them. Jesus did not add or subtract, if you will. He did not corrupt or pervert the word. He kept it intact, and we this hour have the fulfilled and revealed word he spoke through the eyes of the witness that wrote. So he says, and they received. And I, I really love this verse. Because there are so many things that could be said in this verse. Please pay attention. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them. And now let's pay close attention here. And they received them. What? The words. And truly understood that I came forth from you. And they believed that you sent me. You want to highlight three words in that verse? Underscore the words and then highlight received, understood, and believed. Do we see that? You underscore the words and you highlight received, understood, and believed. Dear friends, today, for all who seek the truth of the Christ, must read the words and must receive the words and must understand the words and must believe on the words. For those who believe on the words will do as the words say. Verse 9, I ask on their behalf, and my dear friends, you certainly want the Son speaking on your behalf to the Father. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me. For they are yours. In prayer, it is quite common when I thank God for my wife and children. And I express to the Father that they belong to him and that I am so humbled and blessed that God saw it fit to allow me the responsibility of loving them. But they don't belong to me. They belong to the Father. Do we see how that works? We are blessed to have our family and we claim ownership to a certain degree. She is my wife. They are my children. But they do not belong to me, as ownership would see it through the spiritual lens. They belong to the Father, and the Father has blessed me with a time along with them. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, for the world, of course, is fallen and filled with lawlessness. But of those whom you gave to me, which were the apostles, Christ found friendship in his apostles. They were his friends. They were far from being perfect and challenged him with his patience a great many times. I am certain of it, but he loved them and they loved him. They were friends. They were a family. They were a circle that was united. And Christ was so wise as to understand to whom they belonged to. And that's something. 
But of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Who? God the Father ownership. God owns us through His Son. All things, verse 10, that are mine, the Son, are yours, the Father. And yours, the Father, are mine, the Son. And I, the Son, have been glorified in them. Isn't that interesting? The substance of character is seen when one is obedient to the example and commands of the other. The Father was glorified through the act of selflessness the Son produced, which brought forth the true nature of the Father. And through the apostles who would have become martyrs to the cause of the gospel and their master, the Christ, they glorify the Christ. Isn't that something? The Son can show the character of the Father through His actions. Do we follow? What the children do can be a reflection of the substance the father and mother's character have. Now, while they enter into their independence, will they keep that? Or will they corrupt themselves and sin away from that? Independent accountability to all of us through the agency of free will God has blessed us to have. For in order to do, in order to receive, in order to understand, to believe, and to act upon our belief, for what is found within must have an outward action. If you love me, you show me. If I love you, I show you. Though it is soothing and comforting to hear the words, and we should say it more often, no doubt, if it is not backed by an act of love, kindness, and the various other descriptions that the scriptures would reveal, then we find ourselves in vain and void of true understanding. All things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. Of course, he was looking towards the cross. He was looking ahead at the sacrifice that was going to take place. And in Verse 11, section A, it says, I am no longer in the world. He knows his departure is at hand. He is speaking of the imminent truth in which he must submit his life for. And yet, he says, they themselves are in the world. The apostles, the eleven, remain and will walk among mankind in the flesh yet still for a while in their office of apostleship, yet they will be guided into all truth through the outpouring power of the Holy Spirit. And therein they will understand fully, oh, that's why Jesus needed to die. Now I understand his kingdom and why the prophets spoke that the kingdom to be during the reign of the Roman Empire in Jerusalem, the first century, would be a spiritual house in which no man could destroy. You see, the kingdoms of men, they come and go. Where are the Egyptians today? Where are the Romans today? Where is America? Where is Canada? 
Will we say those things in another five years, ten years, a hundred years? The kingdoms of men, they ebb and then flow, they come, they go, but the kingdom of God will always and forevermore be. For what is built by the hand of God spiritually, no man can destroy physically. So though they come in the door this day and execute all of us, guess what will still be here tomorrow? The church that belongs to Christ. So in context again, the Son speaking to the Father and all these wonderful informations revealed to us, we in practical application seek to understand and apply in our lives. You see words like knowing. You see words like eternal life. You see words like the only true God. You see words like the Christ. You see the, you see the work that is necessary. You see His eternal presence in this text. You see the word and its importance and its obedience that, that it demands. You see the reception, the understanding, and the belief. And, of course, all these wonderful things in our day and age remain active. If we seek Jesus, we must seek to know Him, to know Him personally. Who was He? To know Him is to seek the evidence in which He spoke and to believe upon that information and to find freedom in a world that constantly wants to slave us. Freedom. Men die for freedom. Men die for freedom. The ground has been bled for freedom and Christ extends it freely to us. You seek it, you must comply to the Christ and it must be of a good heart. If you've heard the message of the gospel and you've believed the message of the gospel, you will seek to confess the Christ as your Lord and Master. You will seek to change your mind in such a way it will change the direction of your life. And you will qualify therein to be immersed, to be plunged, to be dipped, to be submerged, to be clothed, to be buried, to be baptized, born again, out of water and the Spirit, and by the power of God, if you have faith, He will add you to His church and no other. Acts chapter 2, verse 41 and verse 47. And once in His kingdom, a member of His local assembly, and we pray God's will, a member of His assembly here as the East Coast congregation on the East Coast of Canada. We submit to one another. We submit to our elders. We love each other. We heal. We grow. We become productive. The Christ is about to depart. His apostles were going to be found lost for a, be for, for a bit. But they were going to remember what took place and they were going to be active. Okay, so that'll conclude this portion. Lord willing, we shall continue uh, with the rest uh, next Sunday. Let's move forward with a song. <laughs>